Hello and welcome to a special surprise edition of Cultural Capital. We've just come back from the MIF program launch and we have plenty of ideas and opinions and things to share with you. Perhaps we can even help you make your way through the program guide, which is full of hundreds of interesting options. You know, there's only a finite amount of money that a lot of people have to spend on MIF, and so we would like you to get the most you possibly can out of it. Absolutely. We're here to help. Yes, and that was Anders Furs, you just heard, and here is Eloise Ross. Yeah, I've got some opinions, definitely never short of opinions, so hopefully you guys um, are in need of some guidance through the program. Okay, to begin with, some of you, uh, sorry, both of you have seen some of these films already, and I'm I'm personally very, very keen to find out what you found surprising or what you thought was uh, an odd omission in the program guide. Well, I am not surprised, but I'm very, very happy about the Setsuko Hara retrospective, which is mm-hmm. showing. So this is a season profiling the acting work of one of uh, Japanese cinema's uh, sort of most um, iconic actors. Um, Setsuko Hara unfortunately died last year. She was... a uh, Japanese actress sort of most well known for performances in Yasujiro Ozu's um, films um, but she appeared in you know a, a, a large number of films sort of from, from a number of directors um, and her work on screen was just stunning she had an incredibly expressive face a beautiful kind of presence just very kind and beautiful um, and the uh, myth um, and it looks like in um, association with the Japan Foundation is screening six of her films and I believe that quite a number of them are in um, two of them are in 35mm one in 16mm and three as a DCP and I'm assuming that they're um, recently restored DCPs so this will be a really exciting um, feature of the program and I'm very much looking forward to it so as a, um, I'm not sure, are you a curator of Melbourne Cinematheque? Is that your term? No, I am have been with the Melbourne Cinematheque for a long time. Okay. Um, but have not really been um, a key programmer for a while, but I, I'm sort of an assistant programmer at the moment. Okay, so are these unusual and hard to find prints? Are these, is this like a particularly big coup on, for myth? Um, I, I know that definitely Tokyo Story, Late Spring and Early Summer are very well known and uh, quite sort of you know easier to get than some others um no regrets for our youth i believe is also uh quite a popular film but the others i'm not so sure about um we've never well not never i shouldn't say never but we um haven't done an ozu season recently but i mean not all of these films are, are ozu so okay for somebody who um, finds his films phenomenally boring and difficult to get through <laughs> is is it worth giving them a second go in this in this uh, context? Oh, totally, Andy. These are... I, I know where you're coming from. You can... I don't know if this is what your opinion is, but often with these, you know, like, highly regarded filmmakers, you think, look, I can see why they're important and why I should pay them attention, but I just don't get a single thing out of them. But... Um, and I don't know if that's your opinion with someone like Ozu... 
um, or Kurosawa, but they... Oh, um, no, he's fine. Just Ozu's just a snooze <laughs> fest, I think. Right. Like, there's a lot of held shots, a lot of distance shots, a lot of subtlety that perhaps has escaped my yeah. sensibility so far. Look, I don't know. I definitely think it's worth doing. And I think if you're not having any luck getting your worth out of them, then the big screen is definitely the place to do it. Um, if, totally. if there's ever... I mean, he's such an incredible visual filmmaker who just holds your attention and obviously being at home and sitting at home is not a place to, to be if you want someone to mm. respond mm. to your attempts to kind of, like, draw their attention in. So um, I think the cinema is, is definitely the place to be for these films. I think that's a brilliant uh, bit of general life advice for how one should approach a film festival like Myth. Uh, when you're watching films that are challenging or different difficult uh at home it's so easy to tune out but when you're in a festival environment in a cinema in a dark room where you're forced to watch it um i think that has a major impact on the uh effect of cinema so i always tell people if they want to know what they want to watch go watch something that you would not watch at home and i think this is a classic example of that definitely, definitely. were there any surprises that you found in the guide well uh some odd omissions i thought um so they're bringing Terence Davies across, the director, um, to speak, and they've got his film Sunset Song, but they're not showing A Quiet Passion, which is his other film, his more recent film from um, last year. And I think I saw on Twitter that's playing at the New Zealand International Film Festival. Interesting. So, yeah, I wonder why they haven't brought that, if they're bringing Terence himself across. Um, I'm also a bit ambivalent about this new headliners program. So Myth's basically bundling all the sort of big note films that have sort of got a bit of buzz, I guess, from Cannes, from uh, other festivals uh, in this new sort of program called uh, Headliners. Um, uh, But they're all screening at the Comedy Theatre, which is Ah, the worst screening venue, I think. Hard seats, you're squished in with people, and these are all of the big-name movies that they're showing. They're showing a high-rise, certain women, Neon Demon, Personal Shopper, The Handmaiden, A Sunset Song. Slack Bay, which looks like a lot of fun as well. All exclusively at the Comedy Theatre. I don't know how I feel about that. I... I, um, have not been to the comedy theatre as a myth venue. I don't mind it, though. I think it is quite beautiful and quite a nice space to be in. And I've spoken to a, a number of people who, who share your ambivalence about it. And it's, <laughs> also, I've spoken to people who, who like it and who appreciate its okay. kind of, you know, theatrical presence, mm. I suppose. Okay. So it's hard to say, you know, how, how loved or, or not loved it is. But um, it is an interesting choice. But... Uh, um, you know, there are certain things that, you know, shouldn't be commented on, I suppose, in terms of Melbourne theatre presence. Um, but there are a, a diminishing number of venues at which MIF can screen. So. Well, that's true. That's true. Look, that is true. And look, I think it's very clever of MIF to be bundling the big name films in their own sort of section. So mm. I, I understand why they're doing it. Mm. Um, yeah. It is. But look at all of these. Like, these are all going to be great no matter where you see them. Oh, like, yeah, totally. Like, you know, Heart of a Dog. I'm, I cannot wait for Heart of a Dog. Yeah. Um, well, I'm astonished we've had to wait so long for it. It has been out so long overseas. I mean, it was, it was in the contention for... It uh, made the short list of the best documentary film. Did uh, it? Yes, it didn't oh, quite make the final cut, but... Mm, I mean, that's not anything particular to this year, though. Often we I do have to wait for a long time or, or often in often times um, one of the kind of most infamous... Uh, filmmakers whose work we have to wait a long time for is Frederick Wiseman. Mm, After yes. we'll get his films one or two years 
after they've been released, at which point he's already screening a new film yep. overseas, um, as has happened with um, At Berkeley and National Gallery. Mm-hmm. Um, and this year we're getting In Jackson Heights, which has already screened you know, earlier this year in New York and, and before that in, in other venues. You've so, seen that, haven't you? Yeah, I saw it when I was in New York in December. Um, and I loved it. It's very impressive. It's very restrained and just it sort of does it sort of moves around all of these different community um, spaces mm-hmm. in this area of New York which is in Jackson Heights basically um, and it's I don't exactly know how to do it justice by talking about it but he presents he kind of you know has a fly on the wall approach where he looks at council meetings and he um, kind of tries to observe um, council operations and phone calls and people trying to get stuff done. Um, and he has this really incredible balanced approach of showing how difficult yeah. it is to make a society or a community run and operate to everyone's, you know, benefit and also showing how difficult it is as a citizen to exist within um a community at which maybe you know not everything can be done for for everybody's benefit mm-hmm. um, and so he's got this really very balanced and very democratic approach to um, documentary filmmaking mm, okay. he's, oh he's such a great mm. documentarian mm. I loved at Berkeley which was a couple of years ago at oh, Myth I loved it. Yeah. Uh, four hours long but just incredible yeah. and it's funny how so he's his fly on the wall kind of style of vignette after vignette after vignette. No, it's very commentary. liberal. Like you can still, even though there's no commentary, you can tell that. Oh yeah, he has a point of view. Got a much a, yeah. a very liberal. Yeah, yeah, um, and and that's um, what made at Berkeley particularly interesting. Uh, I, uh, I know this is a slight digression, but I loved how uh, early. I loved how early in the uh, film we see the like head, the president of the University of California Berkeley, talking about how the student protesters are like selfish and this and that. He, like he, he he's got a line about the student protesters, and then an hour and a half into the movie, you see fellow students um, at Berkeley talking about them in the exact using the exact same language, and I thought it was like a brilliant uh, example of how like. PR and marketing works. It's just mm. like I don't know. He's he's kind of brilliant in the way he that juxtaposition. Uh, he uses juxtaposition to create points, I guess. So this is this is my number one most anticipated movie. Yeah. This year. Right. Yeah. What about you, Andy? What well, are you I'm, very much looking forward? To? Well, we've already talked in episode one, I believe, about some of the films I'm most looking forward to. Yep. Tickled, I know, is going to be hard to get a ticket to because yes. I imagine that will sell out very quickly. Wiener, I think, is going to be incredible. I can't imagine having seen anything like that before it seems like they have unprecedented access to a guy who's just far mm. far too open um, and has some sort of yeah for his own good yeah, yeah. but yeah he, he's passed yeah. that a yeah. long time ago and he's still giving, <laughs> giving you more information than you expected him to from what I gather that was actually that's sorry I'm just gonna that they played the trailer at the program launch right yeah and the final line was uh, Anthony Weiner saying on the phone like Oh my god! I think this was a really bad idea having a documentary mm-hmm. made about me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And but but he's obviously still going for it's it. Still doing it. And yeah, so yeah. yeah, it is very much like what is this what a guy thinking? What a perfect subject! Like 
you know, far, far, far too open. Yeah, so can't wait um, to see that. Yeah. Um, I'm also really excited about to find out that um, A War, Tobias Lindholm's film, um, is being, getting programmed. Uh, mm. He directed uh, A Hijacking, which was one of my favourite movies a couple, oh, cool. a couple of yeah, years ago yeah, he, yeah. The, the one that was like Captain Phillips only better and yeah. much lower budget yes yeah. that's yeah, right it was fantastic I didn't see that film but um, a war um, is about a Danish military company in Afghanistan that are fighting the Taliban and trying to protect citizens and one of the commanders is accused of having of a war crime mm. uh, so I think that'll be that'll put people in a similarly sort of con- confined situation and t- draw out personal dramas in a way that he seems to have a really good eye for that was also made the shortlist of like, best foreign film in the last Oscars great I'm um, also very excited about Tony Erdman which I haven't I don't know that, that yes. much about but I know that it's a German, three hour German comedy that was in the front runner to win Palm d'Or and was very surprisingly not given any awards but I think it made it was some nearly but not quite um, from what I've seen from the trailer and what I've read about it it seems to be a dry comedy about a man who's trying to reconnect with his daughter but he becomes this sort of clown and he travels to Romania to hang out with her and just has this bizarre sense of humor he's a very 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 strange looking guy Pretty dark red hair and grey beard, and um, he's pretty much he's obsessed with cheese graters for a, a reason that I'm not quite sure. But uh, it, there's a lot of there that I've heard about it that makes me oh, very yeah. really keen. How about you, Anders? Besides uh, um, in Jackson Heights, yes. Yeah, so in Jackson Heights, my number one, close behind, I'd say L. Paul Verhoeven, mm. the provocative Paul Verhoeven's new film, his first film in a decade. Uh, is it really? Yes, uh, since the 2006s, um, I think it's called Black Book or something, a melodrama about German. Fighter pilots. Oh, yes. Um, I forgot all about that. Yeah. Um, so this stars Isabelle Huppert, who I think is becoming one of the most interesting, bravest actors that we have, to be honest, um, in what what some people are calling a rape-revenge comedy. Um, look, it's going to be fraught with uh, a lot of... I mean, Paul Verhoeven, he's not a subtle filmmaker. He does like to provoke... I'm not sure what this will be like, um, but I'm very interested to see how it plays out. Um, and it got it got actually uni- or uniformly positive work yeah, from Yeah, it really did. It wasn't yeah. nearly as derided as, uh, say, something like Neon Demon, uh, the new uh, Nicholas Winding Refn film was. Um, and I think Paul Verhoeven's a more intelligent filmmaker than Refn, so I'm voting for L over that, although I do want to see Neon Demon as well. Um, and then my other big film that I'm looking forward to is The Death of Louis XIV. And it stars Jean-Pierre Léo, um, who's now, would be in his 70s, but he first burst onto the screen in, all the way back in Truffaut's um, 400 Below. It's way back in, I think, the late 50s, 1959. Yeah, and he's okay. been a sort of stalwart of European cinema ever since. Um, and here he plays a king on his deathbed. And to me, this film looks like it's, I mean, it's not just about the death of Louis XIV, it's it looks to be about, the, I mean, Jean-Pierre Leo's uh, looming death, I guess. And also possibly, I don't know if I'm reading too much into it because I've only watched the trailer, uh, but possibly the death of this kind of cinema that he represents. So I'm hoping this works on multiple levels. I'm not quite sure, but I love the trailer. <laughs> looks very claustrophobic, but beautiful at the same time. Brilliant. Yeah. How about you, Louise? I am, um, um, you know... It almost goes without saying I'm excited about so many things in this program. Yeah. But I think number one or one of the things that I'm most excited about is The Love Witch. Yes. So this is, you know, has been kind of a long time coming. I read about it a while ago. Um, It's a film written and directed by a British filmmaker, Anna Biller. 
Um, ah, and it's okay. a, sort of a, a horror film, I suppose, but not, you know, in your slasher gore way at all, more in kind of like a restrained, I don't know, imagine like a 1970s kind of um, melodrama horror type of film, uh, you know, supernatural. Um, I believe it was filmed in 35mm and is screening in a digital format. Um, but so it was filmed in 35mm, so it has this really beautiful um, aesthetic and a really rich and kind of, um, it's really ingrained with, you know, it's uh, tribute to a certain type of horror and a certain type of, um, I guess, supernatural um, aesthetic um, of like the 1960s and 70s. Yeah, it seems from the poster to, tribute to. to be quite gallo. It makes me think of that visual. Yeah, yeah, a little, yeah, a little bit, I guess. I mean, this, this photo in the guy is, you know, bright red and the woman is, is looking very mm. seductive um, and her eyeshadow mm. is incredible. Um, it's this beautiful turquoise eyeshadow. So I'm very excited about it. It's filmed in... Um, the in California, I think it's set in San Francisco, so it's clearly going to have a very, very distinct aesthetic to it. Um, but it's about a, a woman and she basically seduces men via witchcraft. Um, and I don't know what cool. happens, but like it sounds great, doesn't it? So yeah. I, I can't wait, I can't <laughs> wait for it, um, you know, because of its character and because of its plot and also because of the way it was made so it just mm. looks you know excellent all around okay um there's one film showing here that has attracted a lot of attention overseas and this is a film that you've seen called chevalier yes tell me about it uh okay i very much recommend this movie so this is a quite funny uh greek satire on masculinity greek masculinity basically it follows a group of men um on a yacht a luxury yacht and they start a competition uh, to sort of pass the time. And basically, the rules of competition are every single activity that each man does will be judged by all the other men. So that's sort of the premise of the film. Uh, what I really like about it is Athena Rachel Sangari, she's got this... Um, she's got, like, this kind of... A, it's it's a very warm-hearted satire, I guess, is how I would describe it. So, like, it's, the satire is quite brutal, uh, and these men are obviously idiots, and it's quite funny seeing them play out that idiocy in ever more absurd ways. But at the same time, it's not like it's mean or particularly cruel. It's got a quite warm, generous uh, attitude towards its characters, which I found quite interesting. I mean, it's very hard to pull that off, you know, a generous attitude to these characters, whilst at the same time kind of brutally skewering their behaviour. Uh, so, look, I think it's definitely worth a watch. Um, it's also got a hilarious song and dance sequence, which is really, I mean, the audience I saw it with just sort of fell apart uh, <laughs> laughing. So, yeah, totally, totally recommend that film. And what was the name of the director? Uh, Athena Rachel Sangari, I think her name is. Right. Uh, Greek filmmaker, sort of associated with this, what people are calling the Greek weird wave of cinema. Um and, you know, that's quite a contentious term, but, um, yeah, this is definitely, I mean, it's not a conventional film, so, mm. yeah. Okay. Um, totally recommend that, yeah. Great. And Eloise, there was a movie you mentioned earlier called Frank and Lola. Yes, Frank and Lola is an incredible film. It's uh, the feature debut of this American filmmaker called Matthew Ross, and he's made a few short films and some music videos, um, and he's 
written and directed this film. Um, it's sort of a very modest film, um, but it does some really interesting things in terms of exploring relationships and exploring um, relationships sort of between a man and a woman and between uh, a person and their job and a person and their space and the place they live and all sorts of things. So it's filmed in Las Vegas um, and also partly filmed in Paris. Um, and once it sort of... So it's set in, in Las Vegas and it's a, a romance between um, Michael Shannon and Imogen Poots and occasionally it's sort of... they uh, The action moves to Paris. And at that point... It does have the tendency to get a little bit melodramatic um, and a little bit silly if you tend to overthink it. But in terms of an atmospheric approach, the film is, is excellent and extraordinary. Um, the music is incredible. The approach to the um, aesthetics is really beautiful. It has a really lovely way of capturing um, the atmosphere of, of Las Vegas. Mm. Um, and so if you just sort of let that bleed um, through you and watch over you, then um, I think you will find it a very re rewarding experience. I actually interviewed cool. the director, Matthew Ross, and he came across as a, a very thoughtful, very reflective person who, who really put a lot into this um, film effort. Um, right. And I'm very excited to see what he comes up with in future. Excellent. We uh, do need more thoughtful and reflective filmmakers, I believe. <laughs> and definitely more people who work with Michael Shannon. <laughs> oh my God, yes, yes, yes. Will be very welcome. Totally. Um, is there anything that you think is unusual about this year's myth in comparison to previous years? Is, because previously they've, they've tackled technology, they've mm. kind of tried yeah. to broach new subjects, new frontiers of consuming films with vertical screens and all that sort of stuff. Is yeah. there anything like that this year? Well, this year they have, they're doing again, they do it every year now and I totally recommend doing this, uh, the Planetarium Full Dome Showcase. Oh, yeah, They're I've always quite trippy mm. works. I recommend it. I totally recommend it. Uh, um, so they're doing that again, and I think they've got an IMAX film playing as well, but it looks mm. like a pretty boring documentary on okay. the ocean. But, uh, you know, visually... The ocean's exciting. Sumptuous, I'm sure. Narrated oh. by Jennifer Lawrence. Oh. <laughs> yeah. We mentioned in episode one the... Um, virtual reality yes. sorry um which could be exciting it's something that's been done at a number of festivals throughout the year including sydney um and i don't know which way it's going to go it's obviously a new thing yeah. i think personally um and from an um effective kind of uh, surround sensory perspective it's just not my thing i feel like cinema can do that on its own if it's successful enough mm -hmm. so clearly it's it's just not my thing and i'm happy to kind of step out of that um that area mm -hmm. of discussion mm -hmm. the the vr thing i mean it's interesting they're showing some interesting works they've got i just saw um the guardian uh has got a vr work which sort of takes you inside a u.s solitary confinement cell uh so that's obviously one particular way of using uh, the immersive capabilities of virtual reality to make a kind of point. Um, but uh, what I find interesting is Myth's also running this uh, quite intensive uh, symposium along with the uh, workshop. So they're bringing in filmmakers and academics and industry people who are involved in the VR space to uh, spend time talking with each other. Yeah, so I think that's... Um, 
yeah, that's an interesting dimension to the VR showcases. Definitely. And, I mean, that, that'll be educative. Yeah. So that's, that's a great idea. Yeah, sure. Um, and finally, is there anything else that you think is worthy of attention? Oh, <laughs> well, uh, no, yes, plenty of things. I'm very excited um, about the shorts program this right, year. Right, yes. Yeah, so okay, cool. I just have to mention that I, with this year, was a, a shorts, a fiction shorts preview panelist. So I kind of um, looked at some of the films when they were coming in and gave recommendations to the shorts programmer. Um, but I saw a number of really excellent films, a, a lot of which are not in the program because there's simply just not enough room. But quite a lot of them are very good and I'm, I'm very excited. You know, Australian and international shorts mm-hmm. across the board are really excellent. So I recommend... I mean, I, I don't want to mention them here because, you know, you have to sort of um, get a ticket to everyone. But I'm looking at the, the films that I've seen in across all of the programs. Mm-hmm. So in order to see the shorts, you know, you have to sort of buy a ticket to a session and they screen, you know, six to eight shorts, yeah. um, which which take up, you know, the 90 to 120 minute slot. Yeah. And I've, I've circled a film in every slot basically right, so, okay. so I think that there's you know obviously a lot of strong stuff in here and I'm you know very excited about seeing what's on the slate great okay. cool um, I just want to quickly mention on the occasion of his 90th birthday Miff's doing a Jerry Lewis retrospective uh, so they're showing all 12 films that Jerry Lewis directed um, now he he's a comedian who's sort of goes in and out of uh, critical favour, isn't there? There's that line that, like, uh, Americans... What is it? They all love Jerry Lewis in France. I think that's what people say. (laughs) And I think he's... Yeah, he's sort of come back into critical fashion in a major way. And he's a very talented, interesting, you know, physical comedian. I'm very groundbreaking in many ways. Oh, Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think the chances of some of these films, you know, like The Nutty Professor, um, The Patsy, which is a fantastic film... Um, to see them on the big screen, I think, is pretty great. This will be so great. This will be such... This is, like, really um, astonishing programming to bring to Melbourne, I think. Yeah, the, I agree. Um, Museum of Modern Art in New York did a Jerry Lewis program earlier in the year, and they actually... I, I believe Jerry Lewis lives in New York, or at least he lives in the United States. So he was at MoMA, and he gave introductions to a, a number of his films, um, which is excellent, and, you know, it would have been incredible to be there, but the fact that Miff has has gone and, and brought the program here as well is just, you know, really wonderful, and I'm very happy and excited to get to see some of these things. I haven't seen all of them by any means, but yeah. as Anders said, Jerry Lewis is so important, whether or not you think he's, you know irritating or a genius he's probably both you know <laughs> to his credit um it'll be a good thing to catch yeah and and look the thing is he knows that too like if if you yeah. have to watch one film i would strongly recommend the patsy it's a really funny movie very self-reflexive it's about you know a comedian in hollywood uh there's a lot going on there it's very accessible and entertaining and it's funny mm. yeah mm-hmm. What about you, Andy? Brilliant. Anything else? Mm, oh. I don't know yet. No, there's a lot of things that I've, I've read about that um, from Cam that are coming yes. over, As and you can a lot tell, of things we're surprised all, that we haven't. We're all very overwhelmed by the program, and we've we still got many hours yeah. of, of 
turning the pages and for, looking at... For example, the red turtle I'm very excited about. I've heard fantastic things about that. Yeah, it's almost silent. a friend of mine was saying that he's excited about that too, so... Yeah, front so. runner for um, f- uh, animated feature. Okay, it's, yeah. Um, definitely something I'm going to want to catch. It's also something that's likely to turn up on general release, I imagine, before the end mm. of the year. Mm. I'm sad they're not showing Wiener Dog, which is Todd Solondz's oh, new yeah, film. Yeah, yeah. I love him. He's such an inaccessible... Like, like, but they've shown all these other films. So. And no Manchester by the Sea. True. Why do you think that is, given that you've actually seen it? You're one of the few people in the country, I think. Yeah, look, I do believe that Manchester by the Sea, um, I cannot say enough good things about it. I adore it. Um, adore might be the wrong word it broke my heart I broke down it's incredible but I believe wow. it might it might be an Oscar buzz film so they might be hanging on to it for, for that reason right um, but obviously it's impossible to say and for those listeners who don't know that's Kenneth Lonigan's latest film his last film was Margaret which was in development hell for a good five or six years mm-hmm. from being filmed in 2005 I think it was and it came out in 2011 and before then he did You Can Count On Me which was nominated for a couple of Academy Awards um, that's been a uh, long-held front-runner um, for Oscar. Yes, Obviously. and along with probably Birth, of a, Nation, Birth of a Nation was was the most well-received film at Sundance Film Festival in January this mm. year. So, yeah, yeah what that'll a, be one to look out for. Yes. What a title of a film. Have you seen it? Birth of a Nation. Yeah. I didn't. I, I actually, I was going I'm to sorry. see Birth of a Nation, but it was screening directly after Manchester by the Sea, and I was just okay. too broken yeah, afterwards. Too, yeah, 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 sure. Yeah. Okay, so that's our wrap up of the uh, MIF program guide. Thank you very much for listening to the end of that. Um, If you have any feedback or if there's anything else you want to know, please get in touch with us via at the Cult Cap Pod on Twitter, at Cultural Capital Podcast on Facebook, or you can email us at culturalcapitalpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again, and we'll be back again in about 10 days, I think, with another episode. Yeah. For sure. See you then, everyone. Thank you.